Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. The Speed Series season continued at Phillip Island on the weekend with Trans Am stealing the show with three exciting races. They were won by Owen Kelly on Saturday before a Sunday double for Nash Morris, the second of which was a thrilling battle with James Moffat. In TCR Australia, the round winner was Josh Buchan, who won races one and three, while Michael Clemente gave his new Cooper its first win on Aussie soil in race two. It was also Clemente's first win in the series. In S5000, Joey Mawson's winning streak came to an end. He won Saturday's race and was first across the line in race two on Sunday, only to be stripped of the win due to a restart infringement that promoted Cooper Webster to first place before he made it a double in race three. The GT World Challenge wins went to Jaden Ojeda and Ross Palakis on the Saturday and Jeff Emery and Max Hoffer on the Sunday. And Jude Barguana won two of the three V8 touring car races, the other going to Jamie Tilley. It appears the car section of the Fink Desert Race won't take place this year following the release of the coroner's report into the death of a spectator last year. It could be that the event as a whole is cancelled. Shane Van Gisbergen endured a tough outing across the ditch at the International Rally of Fungari, where electrical problems hampered his Audi on Saturday before he crashed out on Sunday. Taupo has emerged as the slight favourite to host a return to New Zealand for supercars after category officials visited the circuit last week, and campsites for the Bathurst 1000 are now on sale. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that doesn't need a black eye to remember to bring his podcasting A-game, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, as someone who knows how to get into a scrap at the track, I, um, I'm glad you weren't anywhere near Owen Kelly on the weekend. He was an absolute magnet for tear-ups. There's a fair bit of NASCAR in Owen Kelly, isn't there? There it's, sure is. Uh, it's right up your street, some of that stuff as well. How that's, was, uh, how was right. your weekend at Phillip Island? The weather looked amazing. It was unbelievable. Like T-shirt weather at Phillip Island in May, you you absolutely wouldn't read about it. But no, it was fun. I hadn't been to a Speed Series event for a couple of years, so it was uh, it was nice to sort of get back to you know what's a little bit more of a relaxed paddock environment, but with um, a lot of track action and a lot of action off the track as well. I think we should probably jump straight into some Speed Series analysis. And um, you know, we talked a bit about the fields, you know, last week and how. They maybe weren't as big as you would expect, but they certainly made up for it with some of that action on and off the track. Just to run through some of the feuds we saw, there was Owen Kelly versus Brett Holdsworth, which turned into more of a war of words than an on-track battle. Um, Then it was Aaron Cameron and Joey Mawson who had a few words after S5000 qualifying. Then it was Owen Kelly again with Eden Thornborough, the GRM teammates, after Kelly ended up in the fence in race two. And then Liam Talbot gave Yasser Shahin a blast after the second GT World Challenge Australia race. 
Um, and I get the feeling, even though he kept his mouth shut in the post-race interviews, that Jordan Cox wasn't all that impressed with Michael Clemente for his forceful race-winning move in the second TCR race. Stefan Speed Series is kind of becoming the WWE of motor racing, and I think I like it. Maybe that's at the niche that it needs. I like the way uh, Liam Talbot in particular spoke so strongly and then immediately segued into a bit of Happy Mother's Day, hi to the kids at home. That was uh, that was a good two-step. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in general, it just shows, like, what this stuff means to the people involved, doesn't it? Like, it's not supercars-level professional motor racing, but there's plenty invested in it and still a lot of feeling out there as well. So I think the Speed Series really needs that stuff to come to the surface, to get a bit of attention and... The Holdsworth Kelly one, that came out through a story by our friend Simon Chapman in the week leading into the event, and that's a good example of something pre-event that gives people a reason to tune in. Definitely, and Simon, you know, obviously, you know, he, he's working for Wild World of Sports and through the nine and stand trying to pump this thing up, and he's doing a great job. Like, he really is giving mm. the whole thing a lot of gas and, and trying to create these storylines, and, and you know, I think that's that's actually really, really good. Um, I guess it's just such a different approach to what we see in supercars, which is to try and shut down any sort of rivalry or feud straight away. You know, drivers don't want to be seen to be out there saying stuff like this, whereas, you know, because it obviously garners so much attention and not all of it is going to be positive, whereas there seems to be, I don't know, I don't know if it's a conscious or just subconscious recognition from these guys that the best thing they can possibly do for this series to try and get in the headlines is to actually get out there and speak their mind and not be afraid to end up having a feud with another driver. Yeah, there's probably a bit more commercial freedom there as well when some of these yeah, guys sure. are either funding their own racing or or the businesses are, are related to them in some way compared to some of the supercars drivers that have to be really careful not to upset their, their sponsors. Yeah, for sure. Either way, it just feels like that little point of difference at the moment between that and supercars. Um, obviously, the biggest and best tear-up we saw was was Owen Kelly versus Eden Thornborough with mm. with Kelly basically threatening to to punch his teammate in the eye um, after they clashed in that race. What did you make of the move itself? Obviously, you're going to be frustrated when you've been hit from behind, but at the same time, he was into the back, like Owen was into the back of Nash Morris already. And you can see Thornborough does actually get on the break once he's into the back of Kelly. What did you make of it? Oh, it did look like it was a little bit late once Thornborough realised what was going on and did get on the break. Like he'd already bulldozed him to the point of no return by the time they got that far. So, yeah, I mean, clearly there was a lot going on in the battle. Like Nash and Owen were racing really hard, but they were able to do that without anyone getting spun. So Owen had every right to be annoyed with his teammate there, but whether he took the right approach with the TV interview or not is probably up for debate because it was pretty hard on a kid who had just like misjudged the situation that was unfolding in front of him. Yeah, look, and I thought I thought Eden's response was fairly measured as well. I thought he actually sort of handled it reasonably. Obviously, he didn't know exactly what uh, Owen Kelly mm. had said at that point, but you know, I just, I, yeah, I don't think I still think it's a good thing these guys are out there doing that. I'm sure they patch it all up in the in in the truck later on, but it's good that sort of this stuff is happening. For the people that are tuning in, and you know, we know there's probably not heaps of them tuning in on Stan Sport, but for those that are, it's you know, it's pretty tasty stuff and it's pretty fun to, to watch. Yeah, and, and we mentioned straight off the top about Owen having that sort of NASCAR background and he sort of understands the role of uh, villains as well as heroes in all these things. So he's never been afraid to speak his mind with any of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think we need to chat about Trans Am because it's not only the best category on the Speed Series bill right now, but it might just be the best 
category in the country. I mean, I know this is no surprise to you. You've been banging on about how good it is for years, but the guys can race nose to tail and door to door. The cars look spectacular. They're more than fast enough. And more importantly, they look really hard to drive. Like, you know, the drivers are working for it. And obviously you can really mm-hmm. see that somewhere like Phillip Island. Um, I know this is an oversimplification, an oversimplification, but when you look at how complicated the introduction of Gen 3 has been, you know, Trans Am really highlights that it shouldn't be that hard to build cars that look good and look fast and race well. Yeah, clearly it's it's a great formula. It's really good bang for buck for the competitor and it's an awesome show for the fans. So it ticks two pretty big boxes there. I mean, there was a point made in the commentary on the weekend about it sort of taking over the old V8 racing mantle in terms of entertainment and the cars are a little more serious than, than the Utes, but yeah. it's probably not a bad analogy really for where it sits. No, for sure. And, you know, the fact that these cars are being ragged harder than they were probably built for has exposed some reliability issues. Um, you know, there's a working there's a working group in the works to try and fast-track solutions to those problems. Um, but let's just pretend those issues were sorted and we took a field of these things and put supercars drivers in them. Would the product be good enough to be our top tier of racing, do you reckon? Like, I'm not saying this is feasible or advisable, and obviously so much money is going to Gen 3 that it's not actually a realistic notion. But just as a discussion point, what do you think? Yeah, I can see why some people are saying that this would have been a better option than going Gen 3, but at the same time, I'm not sure those people are holding Trans Am to the same level of scrutiny that they are. Gen 3, I mean, yeah, I love Trans Am, but I don't think a left-hand drive car with a two-generation old Mustang body, a Chev engine and stickers for headlights should really be the basis of Australia's premier category. And that's before you really delve into some of the other elements of of parity and safety and, and IP as well and just that need for supercars to control its own destiny in terms of administering rules and, and all of that. So... Yeah, Trans Am is a great class and they've got that cost and entertainment, those elements pretty right, but it is it is playing a bit of a different game to Gen 3. Well, I posed the question of just how good Trans Am is to James Moffat, who has very quickly become a force in the series and was involved in some fantastic racing across the weekend, including a very close finish with Nash Morris in the finale, and here's what he had to say. Is Trans Am the best category in the country right now? Oh. It's, it's making an argument for it, mate. Mate, I've got to tell you, it is a lot of fun. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll let others make make their mind up on that. <laughs> but in terms of bang for buck and, yeah, how enjoyable it is behind the wheel, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun so far to start the year. Do you listen to supercars blokes winging about, you know, tyre temperatures and not being able to follow sometimes, well, I think? The problem is I've got to still stay a bit in tune with that. Oh, yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, like these race meetings for me are a lot of fun, you know. There's um, definitely not as much pressure associated with them, but um, I just enjoy coming away racing with the crew that I've got behind me, you know. GRM, uh, there's such a great diversity of mix of experienced guys, you know, old boys and, and a great group of young engineers and mechanics coming up. So um, it's just enjoyable to be a part of. And, um, yeah, I'll let that whole Gen 3 discussion debate just <laughs> continue on in the background. Do you think that like, when it does come to having to drive a Gen 3 car, driving these things is going to be pretty handy i mean there's a readjustment for the supercars guys with less downforce you're driving around with no downforce and cross by tires and pretty much everything trying to make it as hard as possible for you 
you might be pretty well placed when it comes to driving one of these. Look, things. yeah, hopefully that's the case. Um, certainly, yeah, like you said, these cars move around a lot, and um, you know, there's uh, a technique in adjusting to that. So, um, I haven't had much time behind the Gen 3 car as of yet, but um, yeah, hopefully. The stuff that I'm doing with Trans Am is enough to keep me race fit throughout the year. You know, I've obviously got one focus on, on the Trans Am side of things, but obviously, um, you know, come September and October, um, again with Cam, you know, it's a fantastic opportunity to be in a leading car and, and have a crack at both those big races um, in the Supercars Championship. So uh, I've sort of got two hats going on, if yeah. you like. You mentioned the driving style on these cars. There's a couple of blokes that have become really, really good at it. You're obviously a professional quality driver, but are you still surprised that you've been able to come in and sort of run at the front so quickly? I mean, yesterday you were pretty dominant until the, the window net. Yeah. Oh, I guess, um, you know, from a personal point of view, as, as a driver, you always have confidence in your ability. And the last few years in the whole Renault TCR thing has been... Um, very character building so you, yeah at times you sort of lose a bit of that faith but um you know i'm also i'm, I'm not naive enough to know that you know I've, I've walked into a great situation you know with um with the grm trans am crew if you like so um the, the baseline is 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 very high to begin with so um initially it was just me wrapping my head around it and adapting to the cars as best as i can rather than try and reinvent the wheel or anything like that so a lot of the groundwork has been done before me with obviously what nathan achieved in the car and owen and, and all those guys last year so they've got a very solid platform and you know now we're just able to refine it TCR, your TCR adventure did look pretty frustrating. You never had the hardware that ever really show anything. This must be fun. Are you sort of re, are you are you reinvigorating your love of actually going out there going racing? Yeah, probably. That's probably a good way to, to put it. You know, it's always nice when you're competitive. Yeah. And um, you know, the thing with uh, the, the whole Renault thing is. We rolled up to any race meeting and we never really had any confidence in, in what was going to be dished out to us in terms of reliability or car yeah. performance and bits and pieces. So I think over those three years, just about anything that could go wrong did go wrong with, yeah. with those Renaults. Yeah, and it was, a, you know, we were fighting with one hand tied behind our back, you know, effectively the only two Renaults in the world competing. So, you know, when we're going up against all the other manufacturers that have, um, you know, multiple years of experience that was always going to be an uphill battle but at least now with Trans Am you know it's a, a control formula if you like everybody's got the same stuff and um, you know I guess a part of it comes down to the driver. Stefan, let's shift focus to supercars and the topic of New Zealand. Now, last week, category officials visited Taupo as the search for a new home across the ditch continues. It appears that venue is now the clubhouse leader by at least a very little bit to land around in the future, potentially as soon as 2024, with the thinking that federal funding could be easier to come by if it's to support a regional event. Now, the general feedback has been that the track is great, but the town itself might be a bit too small to accommodate the supercar circus and then the tourism that you would hope the event would bring to town. I don't know much about the town itself, so I'm not sure about that, but I do know that, you know, I'd love it. I'd love the series to be racing back in New Zealand. I've driven past the place and it looks beautiful and going somewhere new is always fun. So I think I'm kind of all for it. What do you reckon? Yeah, it certainly sounds promising. And yes, the the accommodation shortage and the relative remoteness of Taupo could limit the crowd, but every option that you look at in NZ comes with some sort of compromise so yeah at the end of the day like supercars will go where the government funding dictates 
assuming the deal is right and and they'll just try to make it work so they've also if they go the taupo route they've got to slot it into the right part of the calendar from a weather perspective it's it's got to be close to the start or the end to actually uh, make it a good event to go and spectate at well, the one island we do know that we're visiting is Tasmania, and we're off there this weekend, Stefan. I, I missed last year, so it's my first trip there since 2019, and I'm quite looking forward to it, I have to say. Um, usually, this would be one of the easier tracks to pick the form going into, given Triple Eight is traditionally so dominant there. But of course, this is the Gen 3 year, and at the moment, we kind of head everywhere, not overly sure what to expect. We also have this lingering question mark over parity and uh, should the Ford be at this, you know, alleged torque delivery disadvantage, it could be very obvious at Simmons with its big long straights. Um, there is likely to be a map, uh, likely to be mapping changes for both engines uh, as the lobbying for parity tweaks continues on both sides of the equation. There was some data from Perth doing the rounds that highlighted that on lap times alone there was nothing really between the cars. But obviously the parity thing with these drastically different engines isn't as simple as lap times alone. Um, so both mates are expecting new mapping. The likelihood is that we'll probably talk about new mapping, particularly for Ford heading into each round from now on until Ford gets its wish of transient dyno testing and torque sensors in the cars, which isn't likely to be a short-term thing, although work on investigating transient dyno testing uh, here in Australia has begun. Um, so to summarise all that, the feeling from Ford is that, you know, the torque delivery between the motors isn't paratised yet and the shift cut solution that's in place at the moment is a Band-Aid at best. I guess, Stefan, all we can talk about is what we do know. And from what we do know and what we've seen so far this year, the biggest question heading to Tassie is if Erebus can keep its form alive at another completely different circuit. What do you reckon? Yeah, that's a, that's a big storyline heading in. For sure, and it's going to be another weekend with incredibly tight margins and a real challenge to be up the front in every qualifying session. So there's there's the Erebus factor, and then there's the as you said before, like Triple Eight have just dominated there in the past, and that's across the blueprint car as well as car of the future. So I'm really interested to see if that translates now into Gen Three. Uh, the long straights, yeah, they're going to put this forward engine situation under the microscope, but also just engine performance in general, like even within the same brand and within the same team, the long straights and a tall drop gear, like there'll be drivers pretty upset if they think their motor isn't as strong as the one in the next garage, regardless of what, what brand it is. That's the kind of that's the 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 engine issue that we spoke about last year that hasn't really had the opportunity to raise its head yet because there's so many question marks over the parity of the two makes. But at some point, you know, when you have this pool engine system where they all come from one manufacturer and they're all randomly allocated, it will become very easy for someone to say, "Hey, my motor's no good," you know, for and sure, you can't, and, and and you have someone to actually pinpoint the blame at that's not directly linked to your team, whereas in the past, you know, teams had their own engine programs and it was a very much a behind-the-closed-doors thing. You know, you wouldn't see a Walkinshaw driver complaining about his engine being no good because that would be criticising the team because they built their own engines. But, yeah, that that is something. It will be interesting to see if this is where we maybe start to see a hint of, uh, a hint of that. That's a very good point. Mm, and the, the Ford Chevy stuff, some of the talks being the fact that they don't really see a lot of data out of those um, – motors but uh, when you're in say a four car team and you can see all four um, you're going to be looking pretty close at uh, what they're doing 
Absolutely. Well, one change that Erebus will have this weekend is that team owner Betty Clemenko will be on the ground for the first time in a long time and the first time of the Gen 3 era where obviously we've seen that team really up its game. I grabbed Betty to talk about her grand comeback this weekend and here's what she had to say. It's been a remarkable start to the Gen 3 era for Erebus. Have you been enjoying watching on as the team has kind of, you know, burst out of the blocks and emerged as a genuine contender? I have. I've, I, I must admit, I, I've had my heart in my mouth a couple of times and when you're not there, you feel like you, you're, you get, you, there's a lag in what you're getting and uh, I think there's too much to hide behind at home, like I can put a blanket over my head or, or, or run to the bathroom if it gets a little, you know, nail-biting, but uh, no, I've been watching and I'm so proud of them. It's just, you know, there's, I don't think there's a... There's not a word that I could say that actually says how much, you know, I appreciate what they've done and, and the way that they're heading. I mean, we sort of wondered which teams were going to be the winners out of the Gen 3 thing and which, you know, were maybe not going to make the gains they wanted to. But, you know, Barry really has delivered on his promises, hasn't he? They, they, they took a unique approach to building those cars and, geez, it really seems to have worked. Well, exactly, and that's exactly it. You you hit the nail on the head. You said it was a unique way of building it. They they took the building. I mean, they've got they've got Jimmy White. I mean, one of the best fabricators in the world, and uh, they took the you know what's that something by the tail? I don't know what it is. The bull by the tail, whatever it is, and they made made it their own. They made that build their own. And they didn't worry what anyone else was doing. They just made sure that they stuck to the rules, built it properly, and it was exactly how Barry wanted it. He saw it in his head. Are you looking forward to getting trackside, you know, in Tasmania this weekend and actually hoping, you know, hopefully seeing some of this success firsthand, but just being able to sort of really, you know, have some face time with the team and let them know, you know, how proud you've been of what they've achieved? Oh, yeah. The face time with the team... Exactly. It's, it's, you know, that's one of the main reasons I'm going. Also to see the race, but uh, it's just to tell the team that I'm just, I'm proud of them. I am here. I haven't, you know, fallen into a crack in the earth somewhere. But um, it's it'll be interesting to see me. I'd like to see myself in the garage because I always get, I get pacey and I pace yep. and I haven't done that for so long. So you know what, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to go back to the garage and see everybody and see the sponsors and, you know, just immerse myself again in that culture. You said, yeah, you know, you want to let them know you haven't fallen into a crack somewhere. Where have you been? You've been building farms and that sort of stuff. What what have you been doing (laughs) since we last saw you? Yeah, well, um, it just so happened that all my animals kind of came at once and uh, basically between you, me and the gapers, I've had to learn to be a farmer. Right. And um, I've had a few little issues with my health, but uh, at the time that these races were on, it was better that I stayed on the farm. And uh, I'm, I'm look, I'm learning a lot about animals. It's great. So this is my next venture into the world of of Betty. I've gone from you know building shopping centres to building race cars, and now I'm into building farms. But I'm still very, very, very much into the into the cars. You should feel quiet at home at Simmons Plains there, given the fact there's usually sheep wandering around in the paddocks uh, <laughs> next to the next to the track. What, what have your thoughts on Gen Three been so far? Is it so you know, you know watching what, from I afar? Very much. I wasn't against it. I, I I thought it would be interesting. 
um, to see how it all panned out because on paper it looked like one thing, but in reality it was totally different. And um, I think that they've done a great job after they after they've settled down. Once they settled down and and everyone was like, this is what we've got, this is what we're racing. I think um, I just didn't want to go back to the GTs. I yep. was really praying that we weren't going back to G, that GT field. And I was very surprised that we didn't. You know, I we they got the right balance somehow. You know, I don't. I, it feels not not GT at all. It just I don't know. It, it just feels right for the for the series now. Even though you're not at the track as often these days, do you still have that you know that love and commitment for the team and for supercars? And is is it sustainable the way it exists now in terms of the ownership structure? Is this how it will continue for the foreseeable future? Yes, it will. But you know, everyone gets older, and everyone has like I'll be sixty four this year. So, and you know, my grandchildren are growing up, and I have one child that lives in America, another one that wants to move to Japan. So, you know, life continues, and I find that what what is unique is that I am the female in the in the field, which if you look at all the other owners, their grandfathers and their fathers, but they've got their wives looking after all their grandchildren and everything on site, where I'm the grandmother who's racing cars. Does it make sense what I just yeah, said? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's not I'm not saying it in a bad way. I'm not saying that women should be at home with the with the children or doing the cooking or anything else. You can do whatever the hell you want. But you do feel it a little bit on track when you get older. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the good thing is that you do have that structure in place where Barry can be the spearhead for the team and can take the reins oh, all on his own. That was the whole idea of Erebus when it started. It was to go forward and always go forward. It, did, it wasn't about me. It was about being Erebus. And that's why I never named it like after my initials or whatever. But it's about doesn't matter how many different generations, but it just goes forward. Yeah. And uh, people who – sometimes people who deserve a, a chance at at motorsport and being involved in motorsport on the business side of it don't ever get that chance because you need backing, you need money, you need everything else. And sometimes it's really nice to just sit back and watch these people give a 1,000% instead of a 100 Yeah. And that's what Barry's done. He's, he's put in a thousand percent, and he knows what are good days to ring me and what aren't good days to ring me. And we we chat for hours about motorsport, about the cars, about the team. So I speak to him at least I've got a gazillion times a week. So I'm still involved in everything that happens. I'm just not involved so much on track. One last question to finish up. It's a chance to um, to dip into a bit of controversy if you like. The the parody thing. Now, you may have an interesting perspective on this because obviously you went through trying to equalise a very different engine with the with the AMG um, yeah. program in supercars. Do you have any sort of thoughts on, on, on this debate that's ongoing about the motors and parody at the moment? You know, I'm trying to stay out of it because then I'll just get peed off because <laughs> – when we started with most, we were told to do A, B, and C, and then they all turned around and said no. So, you know, we had the fly-by-wire. We had everything that they've got now, and we were told to literally dumb it down. So I decided I gave a lot of energy into that argument back then. I'm not going down that same path, but I hope that I hope that sanity prevails and not um, 
you know, too many people are jumping to too many shadows at the moment. Yeah. They've just got to, they've got to sit down and work it out, not jump at shadows, jump at everything. Just, it does my head in sometimes listening to these people. Yep. But um, I'm, as far as the parody, look, I think they'll find it. It was like in GTs. We had a long time in GTs where parody was a huge issue. And, but, you know, as we went along, we found, we found what was good for the cars. Stefan, we'll be a third of the way through the season once we get to the end of the Tassie weekend. So I think it's probably worth posing the question, who needs a big one down there, do you reckon? Who needs to really go there and, and, and get something done as we sort of rapidly work our way through the season, even though it feels like it just started? Well, there's a few, but the top of the list has to be Cam Waters and Car 6. I mean, Cam was right up there in Newcastle with his run across Albert Park and Perth included some really grim qualifying results. And in the Gen 2 car, he was one of the best over one lap. Like we saw that time and again, but he's only been the top Tickford qualifier in four of the nine sessions so far this year, which is quite unexpected. And when you look from a championship point of view, you, you just mentioned how far through we are already. Like Cam is seventh and he's 261 yeah. points behind the leader. So the season slips away fast from here if they can't get it together on car six. Yeah, for sure. No, that's that's definitely one that was on my list as well. Obviously, you know, we saw Nick Perkett get one over Chaz Mostert in qualifying in Perth, but I think he'd still want to see a bit more improvement and being a, you know, being a bit closer. Even then it was for 13th or 14th on the grid or whatever. So, you know, that's a topic we've been talking about a lot over the last season and a bit, but that's one that we're going to continue to talk about until we do see a turnaround form there. I think, you know, you've got like Team 18, which has probably not seen any great gains on the Gen 3 era. You know, it's one of the teams that talked about how they were going to be able to make a step forward and haven't. So I think they'll need to be um, looking to do something pretty good soon. And obviously, you know, we still – Dick Johnson Racing is just still so inconsistent um, in terms of where mm. you sort of feel that they're going to land. And that is still the team just because of the expectation that we carry for them as the Ford homologation team and a team that's been in title contention for so many years. It's just – it's still – they're still not performing where we expect them to. Yeah, and I'd probably throw in a couple of the other Camaro guys – in there as well like BJR hasn't really flown out of the blocks in the yeah. way that some people had thought and Andre Heimgartner's eighth in the standings with one podium and the whole team had a real struggle in Perth so they'll be wanting to turn that around pretty quickly but also then looking at Premier they've shown some glimpses but they haven't really struck a, a big result as in a podium so with that, your AAA customers have also gone really well in Tassie over the years, but does that translate? Is there a big opportunity for them this weekend with Gen 3? I guess we'll have to wait and see. Well, it's interesting you say that, Stefan, because I did grab Timmy Slade for a chat. Heading into this weekend, he has had a bit of a mixed start to the supercar season. He was at Phillip Island over the weekend working as a driver coach with the Racing Academy in Trans Am. So I had a chat with him about that, and uh, we previewed a bit of Simmons Plains. So generally, you'd be heading to Tasmania with a AAA car, pretty confident, but obviously Gen 3, we don't quite know where the pecking order falls. How are you feeling heading to Simmons Plain? Uh, yeah, I mean, just excited to, to race again. Um, I, I was happy with, with Perth. I feel as though it's been very up and down um, for me, for us, you know, the first couple of, year, uh, first couple of rounds. Um, Newcastle, we had good speed, but um, 
yeah, didn't really capitalise on that. We had pit stop drama the first day, and then even the second day we had a, a few little problems in the race, which, which hampered the end, end result. And then Grand Prix, I did I did my best to, to stuff that up, and I just wanted just a good solid weekend and something that we could, I guess, build on, um, which I I feel as though we got in in Perth, like we had good consistent. See in, in qualifying like tenth, ninth, six. We obviously had that problem in the in the second race with the um, mechanical, um, and then yeah, the last race like we um, we had good speed and rolled the dice a bit with strategy. Didn't pay off, but I wasn't unhappy. We had a crack. So yeah, like I said, I'm just excited to to get to another race and and um, I guess hopefully continue um, on the the path that that we're on. So. Like I said, we, we've had – I feel as though we've had good speed every time we put the cars on track. It's just then been up to us to um, execute and capitalise and, you know, minimise the, the mistakes. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm hoping that there's still a part of the Triple Eight setup <laughs> philosophy that, that, that works, works at, at, at Tassie. Um, yeah, you know, that, that carries over from the previous car to this car. So, yeah, well, I mean, I, that's the kind of exciting part about this year with, with the Gen 3 cars. You genuinely wonder what it's going to be like at, at every, you know, new track that we go to. Um, it's like, oh, is it is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? And whatever else. But I, I think probably just the biggest difference, Newcastle and Perth, you know, weren't massively different. I think it's more so somewhere like where it's, um, high speed, fast flowing, like like the Grand Prix was probably the the biggest difference, which which makes sense just because of the, I guess the biggest difference with the cars is the is the aero. So we came into the season really wondering who were going to be the winners and the losers in terms of you know the pecking order shaking up. There's certainly been good signs from Premier. Obviously, it's your first year with the team, but is the sense within the team that it has used Gen Three as a chance to step things up a little bit? Is the team generally happy with how they're going? Um, I wouldn't say Gen 3 for them is, yeah, done what, what, well, they haven't looked as at, at, at that and said, because what they had before, like, you know, the equipment, you know, was the same as what Triple Eight had previously. I just think, you know, um, they've stepped, stepped it up in, in all areas, I guess, as you do from, you know, first year team to second year team. And, and yeah, we've got to remember that it is still early, early days for the team. Second year and, um, yeah, there's going to be some growing pains and if it was easy, then <laughs> everyone everyone would be doing it. So it's just, it's obviously the category is, is massively competitive um, and it's not as though you can just go out and fill the team with a heap of people and, and good people at that because it, it's hard to, to get people at the moment in the industry let alone good people so um, you know there's still a lot of people that you know we get in just to do race weekends because we, we can't find them you know to be full-time in the workshop so that that definitely makes things more difficult but um, yeah I'd, I'd I just think it's it's probably just the team as a whole is is um, filling in some spots that, that needed filling you know after their their first year of competition yeah. Talk about the Gen 3 cars. How are you actually personally finding driving them? There's been some pretty mixed reaction from drivers. Some guys say they don't mind them. Some say they're pretty open about the fact they don't like them at all. Where do you sit? Um, oh, I mean, I guess because I've, you know, I, 
driven quite a bit of different stuff over the years and I just, you know, it is what it is, so you just got to get on with it. Um, yeah, whether you think, you know, something else is better or not, you just, I don't know, you just get used to it and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really think about it anymore. Yeah. Just don't drive one of the old cars. <laughs> um, we're at Phillip Island right now. You've been working with the Racing Academy with a few young drivers here with these Trans Am cars doing some driver coaching. What still enjoy the driver coaching side of this business? It's something that a lot of guys do. Is it something that you sort of enjoy helping develop these young guys? Yeah, it's good. Um, you know, I had the opportunity with the team to do uh, Tassie um, when one of the boys, Elliot, he was too young to, to race there. So this is his first race weekend in, in the Trans Am. Um, so, yeah, uh, the, the team leader, Tom Williamson, couldn't be here. Um, you know, he's at a go-kart race in Newcastle as they have a big karting team as well. So um, I guess filling in in a, in a, in a way, but um, also I guess you got... You know, Jalen, even though he's young, is is quite experienced. Um, but yeah, you know, working with with all the guys as a whole um, is is good. Yeah, um, but I guess you know, for this team as well, they're they're in the early days, first first year, and you know, you're up against guys like GRM who have run a lot of cars for for a lot for a lot of years and, and have a good understanding of the cars. So I guess every area um, is is fairly. Um, fairly new and and fresh you know you got first year well guys fresh out of carts in into cars and and then you know the the engineers and mechanics and and everything else are trying to understand the cars as well and they are quite different i think you know with the the tire that they run on so it's it's not sort of like a traditional um race car that, that some of the other guys have worked on but yeah i i you know it's it's um yeah, it, it's it's some enjoyable work for me anyway. Yeah, we know. I mean, we know a bit about Jalen Robotham. Obviously, he's got a, you know he's been to Bathurst and he's done a fair bit. Uh, Cody Gillies, Elliot Cleary, they're both reasonably fresh out of carts, mm. haven't done a lot. How are they? How are they going for? You know, Elliot's only six or seventeen. You know, how how are these guys sort of tracking so early in their careers? Oh, I think they're doing a, a really good job. I think you know Jalen's a good. Um, you know, yeah, he's a good, good benchmark, good yardstick for for these two guys to to compare to. Um, yeah, and I mean, if I think about my first car race out of go karts, it was it was pretty daunting. So for Elliot to to come here in the in the Trans Am, which yeah, they aren't the the easiest cars to get your head around, so move around quite a lot, and yeah. Phillip Island. Um, it's probably not the not the uh, the easiest track to um, to do your first car race in. So um, no, nah, they're, they're they're doing a good job, and I think if um, I, I, like I said before, I, I think we've got a little way to go with with unlocking you know the the car speed. So yeah, I, I think all things considered, they're they're doing a good job for sure. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Marco Bezzecchi won the 1,000th MotoGP race in Le Mans from Jorge Martin and Johan Zarco. Jack Miller crashed out of the race while points leader Francesco Bagnaia was also a DNF after clashing with Maverick Vinales. Calais Rovenpera took a first win of the World Rally Championship season in dominant fashion in Portugal ahead of Danny Sordo and Esapeca Lappi. Alex Pelot won the IndyCar Grand Prix at Indy ahead of 
Pato O'Ward and Alexander Rossi. Will Power was 12th and Scott McLaughlin 16th. Renga van der Zander and Sebastian Bourdais won the IMSA race at Laguna Seca for Cadillac. William Byron won the NASCAR Cup Series race at Darlington where there was more drama for Ross Chastain who tangled with Kyle Larson while fighting for victory late in the race. And Daniel Ricciardo has undertaken a seat fitting at Alpha Tauri, fueling rumours that he could replace Nick DeFries if the Dutchman continues to underperform this season. However, a seat fitting is a logical step for a reserve driver and there's no indication from the team that a driver swap is imminent. Okay, Castro mailbag time. Tim Matheson asked what international series we'd like to see come to Australia and at what track. I mean, we're pretty blessed with having MotoGP and Formula One come here each year. They're the big ticket items. I would be curious to see a Formula E race on Stefan's front lawn just to see if he would, in fact, be curious enough to crack the blinds and take a little look. You might need to trawl back through the archives to understand that reference. Um, but I guess... You know, the, the really big thing that we could have here is an IndyCar race. And I know it's not easy with the tram line now that sort of runs through Surface Paradise there, but the Gold Coast would have to be where you'd do it if it was ever going to happen. Stefan, what's your pick? You've uh, gone for the heartstrings there with bringing IndyCars back to the Gold Coast, mm-hmm. and I love it. And uh, the biggest issue being a tram line kind of makes me feel silly because my answer is the NASCAR <laughs> Cup Series, and I would like to do that at the Calder Park Thunderdome if we can, please, which might cost many millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I reckon that would be an awesome show, and it would be uh, like a road course would be – would be a spectacle, but if you put NASCAR somewhere like the Gold Coast, I think it just turns into a crash fest. So let's have let's go the uh, full full lot and run it at uh, the Thunderdome. They would be two pretty handy additions to our <laughs> uh, our Australian motor racing season, I reckon. A NASCAR race at the Thunderdome and IndyCar back on the Gold Coast. Alrighty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. I'm going to give my Castrol Star to Oliver Solberg. Uh, He was leading the WRC2 class in Portugal by more than 35 seconds when he was slapped with a one-minute penalty for cutting some sick hoops for the crowd at the end of a super special stage. That cost him the class win, but won him a place in my heart and a Castrol Star, which I'm sure will make up for it. Stefan, who gets your Castrol Star? You'll have them all doing donuts at the end of the WRC rounds if they (laughs) know that's on the line. But uh, I'm dipping back into the Trans Am conversation and giving my Castrol Star of the Week to Nash Morris for his uh, breakthrough victory down at Phillip Island. He's he's had such an ordinary run in Super 2, both with the Falcon last year and the ZB at the start of this year. So it was great to see him star with a bit more of an even playing field there in Trans Am and not only be fast but show some really good racecraft as well. Absolutely. That is a very, very good choice. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.